Welcome to The War Room. Ryan Ray here reminding you that this show is listener-supported at warroommedia.com. You can sign up for the free option, but if you want to support the show, that is where you do it. And oh, by the way, we will be rolling out YouTube episodes, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Again, warroommedia.com is where you stay up to date with everything, communicate with me, see all of the past episodes, warroommedia.com. Now, let's get to the show. Jim, welcome inside the War Room. How are you doing? Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm doing good, uh, considering I've made like four intercontinental flights in the past two weeks. I'm just still kind of jet-lagged. I'm not sure what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 9.06 Central Time USA right now, so I don't know where you're at in the world, but that's what time it is, at least here. Uh, well, so- it's, yeah. It's it's 10 a.m. here. Uh, I'm on. I'm about five miles south of uh, Washington D.C. Uh, ground zero for Vladimir Putin, I guess. But whatever. <laughs> well, uh, just I mean, for the, this will be out in a few weeks. But at the time of this recording, the hurricane, uh, the hurricane's hitting Florida. Is it up to where you're at? Are you guys okay? Oh, we're okay right now. We're supposed to get some rain maybe this weekend, but uh, right now it's pretty docile, windy, but yeah. Okay, so I read your bio in the introduction. Um, Maybe unpack your career just a little bit more of um, your your military career, what got you into writing and and just kind of that journey for us. encapsulate 35 years into about 30 seconds you got you got uh, 30 minutes you can take as long as you want oh okay um well i um originally came from omaha nebraska um the youngest of uh, three sons of a livestock broker who basically wanted to get out of dodge very quickly um I went to the university for about a year and then really couldn't make up my mind what I wanted to do. So I thought I'd put some time in the military until I made a decision. Um, 23 years later, I finally made a decision and retired from the Army. Um, Spent most of my time uh, with Army Special Forces. Uh, I started out originally in the 82nd Airborne and got out of there rather quickly. Um, served a number of places um, in the United States to some extent, uh, a number of years in Europe, in Germany, uh, in the Balkans, in Africa, in the Middle East. Uh, Enjoyed myself, but along the way, um, I met a lot of interesting people and took part in some interesting things. And uh, when I got out, Actually, I spent another 10 years in the CIA. I retired uh, from there and kind of started uh, to work on history, writing history, and then that devolved into writing fiction. So I'm trying to do both right now. Um, And um, I've always enjoyed telling stories, especially the written kind. So that's that's sort of what drew, drew me into writing. Yeah, and so... How do you determine which stories you tell from a historical perspective and which stories you tell from a fictional perspective? Uh, it's kind of based on what um, what I think uh, will get through the um, the censors, the uh, 
Department of Defense pre-publication review. Uh, if you've had a security clearance, you know that you're obligated for the rest of your life to have everything you put down for public consumption, uh, written or oral, um, has to be cleared uh, beforehand. Um, so I, I've written some histories, uh, some of which had to be cleared by the military. Um, others were not so important. Um, but then when I started writing fiction, well, actually, I realized that some some of the stories would never get uh, through with the clearance process. So I decided to write um, them as fiction. So uh, I will take a real life experience and then build upon that. And I think um, it's my way of sort of writing an authentic uh, historical fiction story. And uh, it's worked out pretty well so far. <laughs> we had on, um, this hasn't been released at the time of me and you were talking, but it will be out by the time this podcast is out, Stuart uh, Scheller. And he said, because um, I was asking him about his book, he was critiquing um, the military command structure. And I was asking him about this clearance process. And he he said that he didn't have to go through it because he gave up his retirement status with the military. But so he said, if he said, if you, if you keep your retirement package pension plan, then you have to go through this process. But if you waive that, then you're free to write whatever. And I, that's the first time I ever heard that. Is there any truth to that? Do you know anything like, is that actually how it works or um, what can you say about that? I, I, I have never heard that. Um, and it rings sort of, um, I've forgotten his name, the Navy SEAL who wrote about uh, Bin Laden, uh, said that he never retired. Um, he had given up his retirement, and his lawyer told him he did not have to clear the book. Well, that was completely wrong. Um, I have never heard that about giving up your retirement. I didn't even know you could do that, not that I would want to. But um, when you sign the security clearance disclosure form and most people in special forces or navy seals or who work in the pentagon will end up signing 10 to 15 of those in their career it says very clearly that anything you write about the military or your job has to be cleared by the defense department i know of no way to to waive that and i think there are some lawyers that would agree with me okay yeah, it's the first time I'd heard it too, but I've, I've, and you're the first person I've talked to that would be in that vein since then. So I thought, well, let me ask because I've never, I never had heard that. I've always heard, I mean, you read like a Jack Carr novel and they'll redact portions of his novels because it's too close to home, which is a little bit, a little bit silly in my opinion, the redaction process at times. It's, it's a little bit over the top, it seems. Um, yeah, it does. And I would encourage that gentleman to go back and check with a, with a national security kind of specialist lawyer before he did anything. I, if the government decides to come after you, they're going to take all your royalties and maybe even prevent the publishing of your book. So um, it's, I mean, at least he could talk to the lawyer first. Yeah. So what is your, just, just, just one more question on this. What is your experience like going through that, that redaction or potential redaction process? Is it long, arduous, painful, or is it pretty smooth? Uh, it goes from painful to humorous to frustrating. Um, my first military history, which was talking about a special forces unit in Berlin, which was classified at the time, 
was all of the above. Uh, first off, I went down to the Pentagon and handed over my manuscript. They said, we'll get back to you. I mean, the thing on the website says, we'll, we'll have this done in 60 days. I later learned that's optimism magnified by about 20 times. Um, they sent it out. It took 16 months to get the through the clearance process. They had to send it out to different agencies and government people and military units to get cleared. Um, so at the end of it, I was getting pretty frustrated, but um, I think the ladies down at the Pentagon recognized this and they started telling me humorous stories, uh, like how many books the SEALs had published since 9-11. And at that moment, uh, this is like 2016, at that moment, it was something what, like well over 200 different books, including, you know, things like how to train your seal dog and how to cook like a Navy seal and <laughs> some pretty silly stuff. But um, it finally came through uh, 16 months and it survived the process with probably 98% of the words it backed. So, uh, but that's one of the key things that sort of pushed me towards fiction writing was there was left to class less to declassify. And the time went down to uh, 16 months on one hand, 12 days on the other. So, oh, wow. Uh, and so yeah, that's kind of different. Yeah, that is that is different. That is different. So when you're going through just the writing processes in general, what is the writing process for writing a military history book? Uh, just for you, not the external and versus writing a military fiction book or a spy novel? Um, well, for one thing, with a history book, um, it's, I think, more a process of organization and outlining. Um, you have to tell it in sort of a linear fashion from beginning to end. Um, you're less worried about keeping your audience enthralled, uh, although you have to make it interesting if you want them to keep reading it. Um, whereas the fiction book, you're... you're really more in the storytelling mode you're you're trying to keep your people tied into the story from from the first moment and keep them with you all the way through so that that really requires uh a lot more creativity on the author's part i think and it's hard to maintain but you just keep working at it now are you a plotter or a pantser a plotter or a pantser? Do you do you do you um uh do you um is that the t yeah yeah plotter pantser right? So do, are you writing out a um a detailed outline or are you writing this as you go? I I have likened my writing to building a house without a blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I start with a plot, what I want to happen, mm -hmm. but how I get there. Are, changes quite a bit from beginning to end um it's um and i'll have to go back and make some revisions where the parts don't quite come together so um that's about the best way i can put it uh sometimes i will go back and add in things to sort of tie one aspect to another and sometimes it's a diversion just to keep people um misoriented <laughs> so anyway um it's it's just 
a creative process that that it's the only way I know to go. <laughs> and how how much um, how much research are you doing for your your fiction novels? Because you know, you, you, like your current One Direct Legacy um, is um, you know it's it's people go places, they do things, you know. So how much time are you spending trying to bring the reality? of the world as it was through this period of time into the book, or is it more just, Hey, we're going to world build and kind of fudge the edges here. Um, it's, it's a combination of all that. Um, I work off of my experience, uh, where I've been, what I've seen, uh, often the experiences of other people that I worked with, uh, I will integrate their stories into it. There will be some online research of places that, I can't go, um, you know, I could not go to Tehran uh, to do some of my research. So I had to rely on a lot of different sources. And of course, uh, the internet is one of them. Um, you know, if you can travel to Ireland and see Belfast and Dublin and the areas like that, that's great. But, um, and I've done that a long time ago. So I had to refresh my memory to some extent on the internet to see how things were back then. Uh, and although I remember things, uh, sometimes I remember them incorrectly. Uh, so you you really have to be on top of your game. But um, it's a combination. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us about Direct Legacy, a Cold War spy thriller. A is there a better time in American history than the Cold War? Like, there's so much in the real world that happens in the Cold War era. I mean, you've got all these assassinations and all these spies and the whole Russia thing and all these proxy wars. It's just a fascinating time and probably a great time to write a spy thriller. Well, I think the, the thing for me that's really interesting is how it's all come back around. Uh, we're going back into an era that's almost identical, uh, probably a little bit more violent and a little bit more immediate. Um, it's less of a cold war now and more of a hot war. I'm, I'm concerned, I think a lot of people are, and should be, that, that this is going to get out of hand before too long. But um, the cold war for me, um, going back 20 years or 30 years, um, it's kind of a romantic period um, in my in my mind. A lot of the things that I remember um, come across um, as more interesting than what was going on in the Middle East, quite frankly. Um, you know, um, Jean Le Carré made, made the spy novel, along with a lot of other people, Graham Greene and others, uh, a very interesting time. And I like to sort of delve into trying to, trying to recreate my experiences and make some up along the way to, to, to tell that story once again. So, Is there an advantage to writing in the Cold War era because you don't have to deal with, you know, everyone has a cell phone, right? And so if you're writing a spy novel in 2022, you've got to work around everyone has a cell phone and how to deal with that and how they can track people. Is there an advantage to writing a novel in this period because the technology isn't isn't as advanced and, uh, you know, around everywhere? Um, I, I think that can go both ways, though. I mean, with a 
cell phone and uh, the internet, there's a lot of things you can throw into a novel to make it interesting. Um, without that stuff, uh, you're going back and reliving history as it was. Yeah, I remember walking the streets of Berlin. The only way you could make uh, contact with somebody on the telephone was to use a pay telephone or go into a hotel or something like that. These days, it's very convenient. You can just use your cell phone. Um, but then, conversely, back then, we didn't have to worry about being tracked through our credit cards, through our telephone, through our cars, GPS, and things like that. So it made made some aspects of intelligence work uh, easier back then. Um, we didn't think of it then because we had no clue. But uh, nowadays, uh, intelligence work can be extremely difficult because of all the ways of tracking people. I mean, just go through an airport. Now you look into a camera and they know exactly who you are. And so you can't hide anymore. Not very easily. So, yeah. Is how much of your character is based upon you? Some. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, um, I fold in interesting aspects of people I know. Um, people I have worked with. Uh, I try not to bring in just good aspects. I try to bring in weaknesses and foibles. But um, to to some extent, you write what you know. So I know myself fairly well. So some, some of me gets into certain characters, but then I'm also using other people I know. So. What makes a good spa thriller? Ooh. Um, If I was to ask that question of Jean Le Carré, he would say it would be long bits of dialogue and uh, interpersonal actions that probably are not very exciting to people. But if you ask um, some modern writers, uh, uh, Robert Ludlum, it's all about the action. So I, I prefer to sort of get a mix between the two. I mean, Le Carre is probably more realistic in that spy activities, spy operations are basically pretty boring. Um, I mean, how many, um, we just don't have spies that run around with guns and, and assassinate people. It's just, it doesn't happen that, well, that often. The Russians are better at it than we are, I'll have to admit, but, um, if you're going to tell a story, you've got to tell the story that's going to be interesting. So you've got your choice of having a character that is very interesting in of himself, whether it be George Smiley, who is actually a pretty boring guy, but has an interesting uh, take on life. Or you've got another spy who is, you don't even really know his personality well, but he's really good at blowing things up and shooting people. So... <laughs> I prefer the realistic approach myself. Yeah. One of the things when I'm reading spy novels is uh, I, I enjoy the thought of if this were real, how would I feel about the story? Because there's often times where, um, you know, um, I, I think when I first got into the Mitch Rapp series uh, by Vince Flynn, you know, Rapp's going all over the world. He's torturing people. And I, and I thought, hmm, this is quite enjoyable. 
how would I perceive this if this story broke on Fox News or CNN or, or wherever? And it's a, it's to me that's that's an interesting way to read some of these novels. It's um because there, there there's an ethical question that's that, that like, so there's the enjoyment of the novel right, but the novel is actually. Uh, or all these spy novels are raising ethical questions about lying, manipulation. You know, I'm not trying to take a stance on either. I'm saying, but they actually are raising these questions inside of the world of the character. And I found it, I found it um, just interesting to to read them and then contemplate. Hmm, if this were a real story, and the the news broke, how would I view this story? And I find sometimes I go, oh, I'd be okay with this. And other times I go, hmm, I'm not sure I'd endorse this. And that's a weird <laughs> paradigm. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you. If, if it involves, um, I don't know how else to put it, just wanton killing, murder, and mayhem, then, then you have to really wonder about it. Um, you see a lot of these novels talk about the good guys killing the bad guys, and it's never really quite that, that defined. And often there are a lot of innocent people who pay the price for the things that we do. Um, going back to George Smiley and Le Carre, um, he, he points out some very interesting ethical questions throughout his career of novels. And even at the, the very end, he's saying, basically, he's saying, without saying it openly, is, was this all worth it? Are we any better than the people on the other side? And that's, that's an interesting dilemma. That's an interesting question to have in your novels and to leave people. So um, if you can fit that kind of stuff into your novel, then I think you're doing really well. It's not all about revenge and, you know, killing the bad guy. It's like, what does this make the protagonist? What, how does the spy end up feeling about himself after all this? I think those are all interesting questions. Yeah, I, I, yes, very much so. I think, um, you know, Star Wars for so long was very much white and black upon good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. And then they've, they, they blurred the lines a little bit with the prequels, but then they have a movie called Rogue One. I don't know if you've seen it or not. And at the beginning of Rogue One, the, one of the good guys has an informant and then the, the, the stormtroopers are coming to, um, they're going to find out that the informant is talking to the good guy. And the good guy shoots the informant, bang, because he's, he's freaking out. He's like, oh, I'm going to tell, you know, he's, he's worried that he's going to get arrested until the good guy shoots the informant to prevent him from outing them as being spies which sets a very gray tone for the rest of the actions afterwards right because here you have the quote good guy killing his informant to protect himself because this guy might rat on him if the stormtroopers come down the alley uh and, and i think those ethical questions about how do we now feel about this character in the act and the actions after i think those are the things that, that i find interesting about um you know the the thriller type spy novels those genres um and and sometimes to your point about when you make it all action driven it, it doesn't leave the reader um with the mentality of okay hey is what he's doing good is this a, is this a moral thing and i think part of fiction is for us to be able to read something that's not real and then think about think about it because you know if you read a real story on the news about um, insert terrible thing here, like the hurricane right now that's happening. You know, it's hard for us to process all that because it's real and we know people down there. We know people affected. You read a novel about a hurricane and how it's handled, then you could maybe uh, abstractly sit back and kind of pull out from there. 
what happened? Did you think this is right? And so um, I think that's what gives these type of novels the real flavor because these are very highly politicized issues, especially in the U.S. Um, you know, going back the past 10, 20 years, how do we handle the war on terror? How do we handle foreign espionage? Uh, espionage? How do we handle uh, how we capture um, and, and treat military combatants? So those are all questions that these type of novels deal with. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's one thing uh, when, when you have a, an intelligence officer who recruits an asset uh, in a foreign country and he sends that asset out to find out some information or to manipulate something and that asset ends up getting killed. Um, the case officer then, or the intelligence officer, does he care about this? Does he have remorse that, that he recruited this guy and sent him to his death? I mean, that's one way to look at things too. Mm -hmm. The other one, more extreme, is to have your case officer <coughs> or intelligence officer shoot his asset because he thinks he's going to compromise everything. I, I find... I would find that a lot more reprehensible than anything. And I would be hard, hard pressed to even support that, that character much further in the book. I mean, that, that's, that's hard. That's a hard one to, to justify right there. So. Oh yeah. I mean, I think about um, Marty Peterson's uh, book, the, the widow spy and kind of that process that they went through with their, um, their informant and how, much rope they gave him hoping that against hope that he wasn't you know been flipped or or whatever and ultimately he had been but um it, it, so you look at that and you, you know it's you know that's a that's a hard story because that's real people <laughs> you know real people and and so um it's really hard I, again i just think it's just hard for us to to read these stories that, that are true and to kind of think well what do i do into so the fiction world um sometimes lends us maybe a a different clarity because the stakes aren't as high if you take a strong stance on a character or not. So what is it that you're trying to get? And, you know, you have a series that, well, let me ask that, why a series? Why why continue with one character? Is there any thought process behind um, writing a series versus writing the one-offs? Um, I'm, I'm trying to introduce different people into the stories as part of sort of a team building exercise. I mean, from the first novel to the second, you know, there's kind of a switch. There's a handoff from the main character in my first novel to one of his subordinates. I mean, people move up in the ranks and they become isolated. They would start working in the headquarters or whatever. And the young people that they train now are doing their job up in the streets. So that's the kind of thing I'm trying to bring into the novels. And, and really the only way to do that is through a, a series of novels. And I start to introduce um, women into the equation, um, just as it happened to us in the 1980s and 90s was that we started to see women being recruited for specific jobs uh, in the special operations field and the intelligence world, much more so than they used to be. And I, I think that's an interesting thing to bring into it. So it's kind of to introduce people to, to the changes in the leadership, in the way things are done, and the change in, in the environment, too. I mean, having women in the military doing uh, special operations is one of the big ones. And so, obviously, how women in the workplace is viewed in 2022 
is going to be different than how it was viewed in the 1980s. Um, how, how do you write the characters? Are you writing the characters with a more modern perspective uh, or maybe a more old-fashioned perspective? How are you trying to write the characters to deal with these type of issues? I, I had this discussion with my wife yesterday because um, I, I remember being at West Point when the first female cadets came in. Um, I was teaching a basically summer training there, and it was strange. There was a lot of hostility towards the women, a lot of derision, and you still see that today. But um, I try to write when that when that comes up in my story. I try to write that into it as I remember it. I mean, guys coming out and saying, you know, these women are not qualified to do anything. They can't. They can't carry a rucksack for twelve miles. Well, some of them could, and some of them couldn't. But there were other things that they brought to the game. And, and you know, just like on a A-team, you've got 12 guys. None of them are the same. And if they are all the same, then you're in trouble. You have to have that diverse um, reservoir of capabilities. And women just provide um, a whole different aspect uh, to to operations, how they look at things, uh, their experience level, their abilities to do what guys cannot do and vice versa. So I, I try to address it from the time that I experienced it and not bring in, in any modern um, feelings to it, which is sometimes kind of difficult. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And, and you know, that's you, you said that makes me think again about Marty Peterson. One of her advantages was that the Russians never suspected that her role as a woman when she was in Moscow would have ever been a spy. And so she had a huge advantage because people at that period, which is I guess the late 60s, early 70s, correctly, they never would have considered a woman being a spy. And so for her, she had this advantage because they just viewed that she was some secretary or whatever her, her status was. I can't remember what it was, but they never considered her a spy. So it's interesting to hear you, you think about that, the that some of the things that that the women can bring to these roles uh, in the real world and in, in the in the in the um in the novels, I guess, is is a is a, a perspective but also be how the outside world would view them and what threat assessment they might have on them you know or whether it's you know if you see a six foot four dude who's ripped up walking out of the embassy you're probably thinking hey this guy's this guy's trouble where if you see some lady who's you know with her handbag and you know dressed kind of plain and unbecoming you might think ah you know she's just a local admin and, and might dismiss her and she could be the bigger the bigger threat from a from a spy standpoint absolutely i mean when you're when you're looking for James Bond kind of guys all the time, and the women that slip past you, you never never notice. And some of the some of the best teams have been husband wife teams. Um, I mean, one of our most remarkable female spies was Virginia Hall during World War II. Uh, for one, she had an artificial leg, um, and uh, she served both the British and the American spy services during World War II, and she just did some remarkable things. Um, and a lot of times the Germans would never suspect, although towards the end of the war they were starting to get the idea that, that these women were just as dangerous as the men, if not more so. so. Okay, so you've got three books in the series, your most latest one, Direct Legacy, came out in June. What's next for you? 
what's next for me is um, I'm working basically on a couple different things. One is a history of uh, a combat engineer unit World War II. That's a nonfiction um, that will probably come out in late 23, maybe. On the fiction side, there are two stories I'm working with, and one of them is following the series. Um, this one will take place in about uh, the mid-1980s up until about 1990, and it has to do with some actual events in North Africa, in Libya, and elsewhere um, that I am tying into a fictional um, story of what happened. But I'm starting to think about um, pushing forward on a fifth story that is sort of linked, but out in the future. And it is actually it takes place in the modern day. Um, and oddly enough, it has to do with the Russians in Eastern Europe, uh, specifically the Baltic countries. And I think not only is it timely, it's going to be a good reflection of what might happen future in the very near term so i'm happy about that one okay and i might have i might have asked Rabe if i didn't just to make sure how long does it take you to write these various books like is this like a six months two years three years how long does it take to write these uh my fiction books thus far the first one took about three years the second one was a little bit quicker because it was developing and uh, at the same time I was writing the first one. Uh, took only about 18 months. About a year uh, to 14 months, I think, now is what we're looking at. Um, I don't want to push them out too, too quick uh, because I really want to build the story and make sure it's not only enjoyable to read, but realistic. So I have to take my time on that. Yeah, so three years, and then now you're down to, you say, a year to 14 months, roughly. Yeah, something like that. That's, that's, that's through the whole process. That's not through the, that's not like the first draft. That's first draft, edits, revisions, and all that. Uh, yeah, and then I hand it over to the publisher, and it's probably another six to eight months after that, because they're going to send it back with revisions. <laughs> you know, uh, so that's how you're able to work on multiple projects at one time, is you got all these different, different, stages of uh of uh revisions and drafts that you're going through yeah and, uh, and hopefully you don't get them mixed up at the same time <laughs> you're working on them at the same time uh yeah it's yeah it's happened before okay last question for you what would you give an inspiring author someone who's listening go yeah i want to write novels or history or whatever what, what advice would you give them To inspire them? Um, yeah, not to inspire them. Sound, I, said, I said inspiring. Aspiring. People who are aspiring to be uh, a novelist or a historian or just a writer, what advice would you give them? Write what you know um, and make it as an interesting, an interesting story as possible for your readers. Um, a lot of people try to go out on a limb and write about things that they don't know about. And that comes across really quickly, I know from experience. So write what you know and tell a good story. Okay, where do you want us to send people to connect with you at? Say that again, please. Where do you want us to send people to connect with you at? Website, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook? 
Um, I'm probably most uh, accessible on Facebook, uh, James Stasekel, writer, and uh, easily contactable through there. Okay. We'll link to that in the show notes for the listeners. Um, it was fun talking to you today. Looking forward to your next book. Well, thank you very much, Ray. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. Really, really appreciate it. If you could, drop a five-star review wherever you may be. We keep getting on great guests, and that's because you keep supporting that show. If you want to know more, go to warroommedia.com.